Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the last week. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Join me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Helena is away. So lots to talk about as usual. Let's start straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Bad Week first. Rob, what have you got for us? Hi, Richard. I've got the High Street. Okay. This week. So I know this is probably no worse than any than other weeks we've seen recently. But John Lewis's announcement uh, today as we as we're recording this on Thursday, that they're probably going to be closing more stores. Uh, comes on top of M&S's news that more centuries of traditions going out the window because they're going to be selling clothes from rival brands online in a bid to keep their sales rolling. And we've also had Mike Ashley. Neil, keep calm. We're not talking about Newcastle United. He's the owner of Sports Direct, but more importantly, in this context, Fraser's group, which includes the House of Fraser and other big department stores. He's been having another swipe at the business rates model. Um, so in a way, this week could be just one more in what we can expect to be a spring summer of bad news for Britain's retailers as the various government support packages unwind. Um, I mean, there are some good bits of retail looking up, but they are the online giants like Boohoo and Assos who have been swallowing all kinds of brands along the high street and closing down their stores. So it really all makes it all the more baffling that a sector which hasn't required furlough money to keep going, which has gone over and above normal business for months, represented in communities and neighbourhoods all over the country, and providing a vital public service people need and like, is still waiting for some outcome to its claims for COVID costs and a resolution of the is it a grant, is it a loan debate over the advance. So I thought, as well as saying the bad news continues in the high street, it's now four weeks since the Prime Minister said he wanted to make sure pharmacies are reimbursed as soon as possible. And it's tick-tock. Retail's collapsing. Pharmacy's still waiting. Pharmacy is still waiting. Literally nothing from, from Rishi Sunak in the budget. I mean, were we expecting something in the budget, do you think, Rob? Or was that a forlorn hope? No, I think that was a forlorn hope. It's a bit too down in the weeds. But you, you might have anticipated something coming out immediately afterwards. You know, there's a whole load of... Uh, departments make little statements to flesh out stuff in the budget and and talk about you know what's what's sitting behind the figures and and uh, dealing with you know items that are slightly uh, slightly down down the page as it were but you know to ha- to expect to hear something from Sunak in the actual budget I think would be well I think we'd all have been falling up our chairs if we heard something uh, but I think deeply disappointing that it's been nothing. And of course, you know, the, the news cycle's moved on to the whole uh, nurses' pay storm on the 1%, and whether that's, you know, whether they budgeted for 2.1% and they've got 1%. And, you know, we've got Lord Bethel, uh, who's got a few bob apparently in the bank, saying nurses should be grateful for an extra £3.50 £3. a week. So they're not covering themselves, you know, they're, they're not covering themselves in glory. Somehow, uh, I think, you know, it's incumbent upon us as well as pharmacy to keep, to keep, going on about this you know it's still there and it's still being discussed allegedly and there's still no resolution it's just crazy 13 months we're into month 13 now this pandemic and um you know it just to me doesn't make sense 
it, it makes no sense at all. And of course, at the moment, as things stand, you know, we're getting ever closer to contractors in England having to, to pay back some of that 370 million. Um, and the, the silence is, is deafening. So yes, Rob, bad week for the high street, um, bad week for pharmacy funding again. Arthur, who's had a bad week for you? So a very bad week for supply chain finance company Greensill, which has imploded and filed for insolvency. Um, And I've just been on its Wikipedia page and it's already moved into the the past tense. It says Greensill was a supply chain finance company rather than is. Um, And this, of course, leaves a question mark for pharmacies over the future of the pharmacy earlier payment scheme, which um, allows them to access advanced funds, two months worth of advanced funds um, via uh, via the NHS BC, BSA, um, but but Greensill was of course the BSA's uh, partner for the scheme, um, but um, the BSA has said that um, it'll do all all that it can to ensure that pharmacies can still access the scheme, they, and they and they did um, make sure that pharmacies got their payments last Monday. Um, they were a little bit, a little bit, a few hours later than they normally would be, and they came directly from BSA rather than Greensill. But um, we understand that the BSA did um, did a sterling job in ensuring that those funds got out to contractors. But it's just the question mark now is is um, what happens in the in the next few months. And I mean, I guess the BSA has to uh, to find a new partner for the scheme. Of course, uh, Citibank was a previous partner until I think two years ago it was taken over by Greensill. And, um, and there's also the question of whether um, if the BSA can find a new partner, will they offer the same attractive rate? Um, I think it was 0.5%, um, with, with like very, very low rates of 0.5%. Whereas, I mean, if a pharmacy was to approach a bank, it could be, you know, five times amount the, the rate they'd be offered. So um, we hope to um, get some clarification shortly from BSA over you know the future of the scheme i guess hopefully you know whether it will, will carry on hopefully it will and be sort of you know whether the scheme will have to be tweaked in any way made you know slightly less favorable to contractors but um and also yeah we don't we're not entirely sure the how many pharmacies actually sort of avail of this scheme and um, it's thought to you know run into the thousands at least but bsa is keeping a tight lip on on exactly how many but um definitely definitely one to watch yeah Arthur, i was, I was going to ask about that actually so we don't know how many contractors use this peps scheme no not we do we, we don't have a number bsa said that you need to submit an foi which i have but i mean that's sort of a month a month away if you know what i mean sort of tw- 20 working days for them to, to get that information out to us yeah yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it is concerning, isn't it? But you know, the BSA did step in, you know, very quickly um, with those March payments, which, which is good. But yeah, but the future is is uncertain. I, you know, we don't know the the numbers, but I, I suspect, like you say, Arthur, it, it it's it's a significant number of contractors use mm. this earlier payment scheme, and and probably, well, definitely over the last year have relied on it. Um, so if any changes to this scheme could have implications and knock-on effects um so it is worrying and we will uh, be keep keeping close tabs on that okay thanks arthur neil um bad week for you yeah morning richard yeah uh, my bad week kind of leads on from what rob was saying um about Rishi Sunak's budget and the lack of support for pharmacy and that 
370 million that you, you referred to, Richard. Um, and, and that's the, because we, you know, we all know how important it is to have a strong negotiating body and local representation for contractors. And this is what the right reviews, uh, Professor Wright's reforms are all about. Um, and I, rather than a bad week, I won't, I won't call it a bad week. I'll call it an indifferent week uh, for the right review and the review steering group. Um, but uh, Tuesday night, we, we, we watched um, with interest at, at this to hear a bit more about what was going on, a bit more an update of, of the proposals. And, and, and I must say, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I left this uh, much anticipated meeting a bit cold, underwhelmed. By, by what I heard, um, maybe I'm asking, maybe I'm sort of asking for a bit too much at this stage, um, but I do get the feeling perhaps we should be a little further down the line than we we actually are. Um, yes, there were some good things to come out of it. Um, contractors levies, um, according to Stephen uh, Thomas, who's the CCA rep on the Right Reforms Steering Group, he said that there should not be any increase in contractors LPC levies to subsidise this the funding that the group needs, and the group has already said that it needs more funding to continue progressing with its work and it will ask and LPCs will be asked to contribute. He said that will not be done uh, coming out of contractors' pockets. The overarching view, he said, is that this should be done on a cost-neutral basis. So I suppose that's good news for contractors. Um, and, you know, I, 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 there were some good bits to come out of it. Um, the contractors' forum, online forum, to get contractors to engage and, and get involved. We wouldn't knock that at all. But um, I was just disappointed. I, ca I came out of the whole event. Maybe I was, as I said, expecting a bit too much. I came out of the event feeling underwhelmed and a, and a bit disappointed. And the disappointment really, in particular for me, was the the lack of, I'm not saying we should, as we've said before on the pod, you know, we shouldn't rush into it. You know, we have to do this right. But by the same token, we don't want it dragging on for months and months and even years. And, and I just felt that the one thing that disappointed me was a lack of a, a timetable, if you like, a, a, a date for completion. Yeah, it's an important piece of work. But let's have a, let's have some some kind of, you know, end, end, um, end, end game and a date let's have this done by a certain month otherwise there is a danger that it could just drift and drift and drift um mark burden who's the independent representative on the review steering group said he just couldn't he couldn't provide a date for that which i thought was a bit disappointing um and I, the, the whole event to be honest i, I as i said I, I felt it just just didn't really uh, you know it didn't do anything for me i wanted a bit more I didn't get any sense there was any energy to it. I didn't see any momentum. Yes, let's get contractors engaged. But I, did, I, I just felt, yes, there's an online contractors forum. But I just, there was no real punch. There was nothing really behind it to sort of any real detail as to how they're really going to get contractors involved in this. It's a really important piece of work. So not a bad week for the review steering group. I think that would be a bit harsh. But I, I just think I've been in different week. Yeah, I, I, we all tuned in on uh, Tuesday. It just seemed to to need an injection of momentum. I think you're right, Neil. It seems to be just drifting a little bit at the moment. I, I, I recall Professor Wright kind of outlined a, a two-year timetable to, to get this done. Um, so that doesn't look as if that's going to happen within two years because progress has been slow so far. Um, Rob, you, you listened in on Tuesday as well, didn't you? Um, what did you make of it? I think I'm... I think I'm broadly with Neil, really. Uh, I mean, at one point, somebody in the in the thing said, uh, describing the, the recommendations from the original review, well, you know, a third of them we could probably do, a third of them are no-brainers, I think that might, might have been the phrase used. Um, well, just do them then. You know, if it's that obvious, just get on with it. I mean, I think, you know, show that actually things are moving on. I think there's a great, it all seemed to me that, if you look at 
places where they've been dealing with tricky implementation programs, even in difficult times, you know, the, the smart plays to demonstrate progress, even when other bits are more tricky and more, more difficult. And some of these, some of the recommendations are incredibly difficult to work through. But, you know, for the things that are easy and obvious, just do them. I don't think, for, for example, I think also it came up on the thing. Somebody said, are we going to have a vote on whether we should change the name of PSNC to Community Pharmacy England? This is contractors have a vote. Really? I mean, who's not going to, who's going to object to that? Um, so, yeah, I think a bit of urgency. I'm with Neil, you know, I think there are some things that could be done that need to get on with it and really save the, the steering group for the more difficult, tricky uh, issues that need to be thought through. Yeah, so in different week, perhaps for the uh, for the steering group. Um, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Rob. Um, bad week for me. Um, bad week for pharmacist numbers. So my eye was caught this week by a story we did about the the government relaxing the the rules on recruiting pharmacists from overseas. Pharmacists have been added to the shortage occupation list. So. Uh, this is all to do with the, the growing shortage of pharmacists in the UK and something that's been flagged up in other contexts for, for a while now. Uh, the numbers of undergraduates choosing to do pharmacy as a degree course has been declining for a while. I think it was down about 20% over a five-year period uh, from 2014 to 2019, which were the last figures. And you know, this is a long-term problem, isn't it, given the time it takes for pharmacists to train and to qualify. So sooner or later, this particular chicken was, was always going to come home to roost. Um, I think applications from EU citizens for UK pharmacy jobs is also down significantly, and, and that's probably Brexit related. You've got low assessment pass rates uh, for the registration exam. That adds to the problem, and that's only going to be exacerbated this year, of course. But, you know, on top of this, there are some big shifts taking place within the existing pharmacist workforce, aren't they? In community pharmacy in particular, as more pharmacists migrate to primary care land. And this is the same in, in all of the, the home nations, whether it's primary care networks in England, health boards in Scotland or primary care clusters in Wales. And the problem is especially acute in Northern Ireland. And this kind of talent drain, if you like, of experienced community pharmacists leaving community pharmacy sector uh, seems to be happening in a fairly unplanned way as well and it's putting severe pressure on the network and then when you you think about it and you you, you throw in a few more things like off the top of my head um, la uh, long and unsociable hours pay that's probably lagging behind other professions you know the lack of a proper career structure in in community pharmacy um, pharmacists increasingly wanting to work part-time Ooh, lesser appeal of rural locations. There's lots of factors in there, and uh, that adds up to a pretty big, knotty problem. Now, workforce planning is something that pharmacy has never been particularly good at, and Rob and I are old enough to remember pharmacist shortages and pharmacist gluts swinging from one state of affairs to the other, like some kind of uh, demented white-coated pendulum. I mean, not that long ago, all the supply, all the talk was about an oversupply of pharmacists. Now, interestingly. The government has promised to strengthen the image and reputation of pharmacy uh, to attract a, a large and wider pool of people to the workforce. That's part of the NHS People Plan. Do you remember that? Well, we haven't seen any sign of that happening. But to be honest, this is something that the profession needs to get a grip on as well. It, it's, it's not easy. It's very long term. It's complicated. But clearly, we need better workforce intelligence 
we need more funding for for training and, and advanced qualifications and we need proper career support and progression in community pharmacy you know the harsh fact of the the matter uh, is that community pharmacy i think is no longer seen as an an attractive career option and unless we tackle this as a profession and, and as a sector then the outlook long term um is very worrying indeed um rob what you've been following this over the years what what do you make of it uh, indeed richard i remember actually presenting some information a few years ago to the um migration advisory committee uh for maintaining pharmacy as it was then pharmacists as they were then on the shortest occupation list so yeah, as you say, there's been gluts and there's been uh, huge shortages. Uh, and I think the last time I was involved in that, we were justifying shortages on the grounds that the shortages were regional. And I think that I've seen that in, in the story this week that there are uh, there is evidence of regional shortages and um, more difficult to get pharmacists in certain places. I think there's one other thing to that will just play into this now that um, we've left the EU. And that's the role of the GPHC, because it's not just simply a case of saying, well, we'll put them on the shortage occupation list and pharmacists can come into the country easily if they tick the right boxes. Um, the regulator will have a view about the the registration qualifications and what exactly people have to do to get themselves in a position where they can join the UK uh, or the GB register or the, you know, the, the register here. And practice, I don't think it's a simple case of just saying the door's now open. And I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've seen the GPHC yet offer an opinion on that and how that will work in practice. Um, we've all discussed, you know, the problems of the registration examination this year and the difficulty of getting, you know, using the normal routes to get uh, this this year's cohort onto the register. So I, I think there's there's more to this story than just a simple fix and, and sticking a job role on a list. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's it's immensely complicated, isn't it, workforce planning? But um, And we haven't heard anything from the GPHC about this, actually, Rob, in terms of longer-term trends. So, yes, I think the regulator maybe does need to... Um, to, to, to throw its hat into the ring with some solutions. But it, it's, it's you know, complicated and long-term. But I think unless we recognise and act on the problem now, then it'll just uh, accumulate over the years and we'll be, in, in a few years down the line, we'll be left with a, you know, a very, very serious situation. As it is, the outlook is worrying. So I think this needs the attention uh, of all our professional bodies and the wider NHS as well. Uh, okay, thank you very much for that, everyone. Let's go on to Goodweek. So you've had enough of me rabbiting on uh, for a bit, so let's go to you, Arthur. Who's had a good week for you? Um, well, I'm going to say a hopeful week for uh, the APPG, the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Pharmacy, which has secured a debate today. So this is, we're talking around 11 o'clock on Thursday morning and in two and a half hours at 1.30, MPs in the Commons are going to debate the impact of COVID-19 on community pharmacies uh, in England. Um, so it's good just to see the profile being raised um, of the issue. Um, obviously, we, we talked earlier in the, pro, in the, in the pod about the, um, the budget and how unfortunate it was that, um, that pharmacy... 
uh, wasn't mentioned, um, the 370 million advance wasn't mentioned, whether or not the Treasury is going to write that off. Probably that it was it wasn't going to be mentioned in the budget speech. I think probably it's low enough down the public agenda that um, it wouldn't be a headline in the, in the budget, if 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 you know what I mean. It's not um, uh, perhaps not high profile enough in the media, but something like this, hopefully is um a good opportunity for the issue to to be aired and um to to drive home the 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 financial pain that pharmacies are are experiencing and the real threat of closures um on on the high street rob's favorite topic this week um because uh yeah i mean it's getting to crunch time now um the there's still so much uncertainty over you know whether or when that money is going to be clawed back and the impact that's going to have. So, and so PSNC really needs to persuade, I guess, you know, people in the Department of Health who are, you know, seen as being more sympathetic, but they need to, you know, put pressure on people in the Treasury and NHS England, which is, you know, no, no small ask. So hopefully, um, we'll see, we'll see how it goes to, to go, goes today. Hopefully, this will um, gather some momentum behind the issue. Yes, we'd be looking at that debate later on after we finish recording uh, this pod. Of course, it's not the first time that the community pharmacy has been debated in the House of Commons over the last year, 18 months. So, um, well, we can only hope that some kind of message reaches out to the chamber and, and heads straight down right all to the Treasury. And let's go to you then. Neil, who's had a good week for you? Uh, it's been a good week for Keith Ridge and NHS England, Richard. Um, They've launched uh, a joint national plan for inclusive pharmacy practice alongside the RPS and the APT UK. Um, some good good things in there. I, I think they're just from what I from what I get from it is if pharmacy can uh, become a more diverse profession uh, with a, a set of diverse uh, a diverse set of voices at the top, then it can do even better in, in ensuring that local communities, especially black and minority ethnic communities, um, are, are better looked after. Uh, and of course, if we know anything about COVID-19, um, this pandemic, it starkly remi- reminded us starkly of just how disease can, can amplify, amplify um, inequalities in health. And I think this, um, these set of p- plans or proposals are, are, are aimed at sort of improving this all round. Um, now, there's a lot of good things in there, as I said, you know, it, it, I think it seeks to understand the benefits of diverse teams and, cult- and what it describes as culturally competent healthcare service delivery which sounds very exciting and, and, and I'm sure we'd all agree um, much needed. Um, and to ensure that BAME colleagues' voices are heard and fairly represented in decision-making forums. Um, so they're looking to explore uh, BAME representation in, in pharmacy leadership. Now, I, I, this is all very well, and I, I, I would all support this, I'm, I'm sure, and, and I'm certainly not knocking uh, the, the report in any way, any report that seeks to, to sort of um, you know expand and, and improve um, inequality has to be a, has to be backed, supported, and applauded. Uh, but it just struck me, you know, reading through some of this stuff that you know, I, I, and maybe it's a bit of a glass half empty kind of uh, a thought process here, process here. But nevertheless, I, I thought you know it's 2021 and, and we're still exploring this, um, you know, and, I, and it just occurred to me: are they, you know, general practice? Are they exploring? BAME representation at the top of general practice. Are they still exploring? I don't think they are. So I just think it's obviously seems well. It seems to be the case that pharmacy has a lot of catching up to do in this area. Progress is being made, but it's it's slow. Um, hence the reason for this report. So 
not not to be critical of the report or any piece of work, as I said, that seeks to improve the situation. But it just it just just it just starkly reminded me that you know things could could have been done a bit bit speedier, and maybe COVID has has, has you know injected a bit of urgency into this. But as I said, you know some some really good stuff in there. Um, uh, the clans will create there's a, a, what they say is a menu of accredited training um, resources for pharmacy pharmacy professionals on culturally competent healthcare service delivery. And this is the interesting bit. The resource packs will help pharmacy teams use local population health data to engage with diverse communities to design culturally competent approaches to health inequalities. And there's that phrase again, culturally competent. Um, so uh, anything that can uh, firstly improve the uh, ethnic, uh, ethnic diversity of profession be backed and supported and, uh, as, a, as a knock-on effect of that, anything that will you know improve the you know, the, the, the health care that local populations receive from, from uh, the pharmacy profession. So good week for Keith Ridge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very important. And like you say, Neil, timely piece of work there on, on diversity and, and inclusion. Um, yeah, so good call, Neil. Rob, who's had a good week for you? Uh, Richard, I'm going to be seriously general again with this one. I think it's been a, a good week. In fact, a good month for... The NHS. Okay, uh, <laughs> go on. So I, I think, um, forget the thirty-seven billion for test and trace. Uh, interestingly, uh, a former permanent secretary at the Treasury, um, permanent secretary at the Treasury until twenty sixteen, said this week that the thirty-seven billion for test and trace was the most wasteful and inept public spending program ever. So high praise indeed. There from one, from a former Mandarin, uh, but forget that. Um, it would appear, uh, it seems clear to me that the vaccination program uh, looks like it's increasingly on, if not getting slightly ahead of the initial schedule set for it. And I think that's a testament to what happens when you've got. I know the NHS is not a single system; it's a sort of fragmented one, but it's. It's what happens when the public service uh, has a job to do and does it really, really, really well. And uh, we've not heard quite so much about um, test and trace recently, although the fact that the number the numbers of cases going down means it's actually getting slightly closer to the target it's never, ever hit in its whole existence. Um, but the rollout, uh, yeah, we've criticised the fact that community pharmacy has been slow in getting involved in that or in being engaged in that. But uh, I know we we have seen more and more pharmacies in each phase being engaged in the programme as it, as it scales up. And now we're into sort of second vaccinations for those early priority groups. You know, the, the pressure is going to continue over the next four to six weeks. But, uh, you know, I'm, I hesitate to think what would have happened had, had, had they basically put Serco and Deloitte's front and centre of a national vaccination rollout. Um, you know, what we've seen is health professionals working with the NHS, working for the NHS, delivering this, an army of volunteers out there supporting it, whether it's a community pharmacy run programme or or a or an NHS um, run one, big NHS hub being run. Uh, tremendous effort. And um, I think occasionally we just forget who's... You know, there are some good things happening in the NHS. Boy, there are some problems stored up for what happens when we get through this thing. But I, th I think increasingly the vaccine rollout 
programme has been a success and continues to be so. Yeah, really good role. But it, it has, isn't it? I mean, I, I haven't had the job yet myself on account of my youth. Um, but uh, I took my, my mother-in-law to have her job done. And like you say, Rob, it was such a positive experience, you know, with the volunteers and and everyone involved. And the logistics were so brilliantly handled uh, in the, the kind of hub that I went to. It, it felt a very uplifting, positive experience, and that's been replicated up and down the, the, the country. Um, it's been an absolute triumph, actually. Long way to go, of course, but yeah, the way that the NHS kind of pulled together and all the volunteers and everyone around this to make this work has been has been absolutely outstanding. Just goes to show, doesn't it? I tell you what, Richard, as well, you you you, you can get a bit of tourism in as well. I was talking to a <laughs> to a neighbour of mine uh, virtually. I have to say yesterday evening and they had their jab yesterday and they had it in Westminster Abbey oh. I mean that's, that's one that's one upmanship isn't it that's amazing I mean uh, I think I was going to go down to Chichester for my I tried to get into Mike Holden's place in Church Crookham but Mike is doing such a good job there that the the, the slots were all booking up as I was on the site so I think I'm going locally in the end, but yeah, you could you could get around and see parts of the country. <laughs> I was that, trying to work, I was trying sure. to work out where they would have been doing that. You know, they're doing it in the nave, or they do <laughs> up at the altar. I mean, what you know, what <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? But yeah, it West, is Westminster Abbey. I didn't know they places like that were on the, on this schedule. It's, it's, it's fantastic, and you know, there's sports stadiums, there's community centres. It's uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Okay, uh, good week for me. Oh, just a quick one. Um, good week for, for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians due to submit their revalidation records and renew their registration between May the 1st and November the 30th. Uh, this includes me. Um, as last year, only need to submit a reflective account uh, due to the uh, continued recognition, says the GPHC, of the pressures on pharmacy professionals during the COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome news for once, from the regulator, it does look like things will return to normal next year. Uh, but for this year, it's, it's good news for registrants with, with a big chunk of revalidation pressures removed. Uh, and that all helps as, as pharmacists emerge battered and bruised from uh, the pandemic. So good week for revalidation. OK, we just got a time uh, for a quick any other business. And I'd like I'd like to give a, a very quick plug to our old friend, uh, Ross Ferguson, formerly of this parish, uh, who has a book out uh, written with Jonathan Burton, The Pharmacy Management of Long-Term Medical Conditions. Uh, personally, I think that the T in long-term should be uppercase. But that aside, and, and overlooking the fact that none of us are mentioned anywhere in the index, which I think is really disappointing, uh, it's a really good resource for pharmacists to improve health outcomes for people with long-term conditions by ensuring uh, that they get the best out of their medicines. Uh, and it's available from the Pharmaceutical Press. And Neil, when your book comes out, I promise we'll plug that as well. <laughs> I was going to say, Richard, shameless plugging there. But yeah, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm, happy, I'm happy for you to plug my book. All, all, the, all the books are available, presumably. Uh, apparently so, apparently so, but, you know, I'm not plugging them. Anyway, I think we better wrap things up for, for another week. We've had no unscheduled beer deliveries this week, uh, but I would like to thank uh, Rob and Arthur and Neil. Um, all episodes of the pod are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from all your usual download sites. Uh, look out for the webcast from P3 Pharmacy on automation uh, in association with Omnicell. That's taking place next Wednesday. Uh, that's March the 17th starting at seven o'clock and I'm, I'm looking forward to that 
And next week on the pod, I'll be talking to Gareth Hughes from Shepherd's Pharmacy in Wales for another of our Pharmacist in the Frontline interviews. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. (laughs) 